and welcome to the latest episode of Building Futures, Career Conversations with Leading Lights Across the Built Environment. Today, I have Lisa Malloy, author of Molly in Construction and construction professional of 20 years experience with me today. Hello, Lisa. Hello. So we met each other at Construction Week, which feels like moments ago, but yet it was back in April. And I remember seeing you and realising very early on that you had written this amazing book, which you gave me a copy of, which I'm so grateful for. For those who don't know about your book, can you talk a little bit more about Molly and Construction? So Molly and Construction is a book that was written to target primary school children to open their mind around careers in construction. So it's about a girl, Molly, who's a quantity surveyor. And the theme of the book is that Molly meets different people along the way as she goes to the building site at different stages of the project. So it'll start off with the theme of, um, I'm Molly, I'm a quantity surveyor. And the question is, what's a quantity surveyor? I hear you ask. So the book specifically tells you about the role that she does. And then Molly will then go on to meet the engineer. And when she meets the engineer, the question will be, what's an engineer? I hear you ask. And it tells you the role of what an engineer does. So it was written with an aim of that once that reader reads the story, they're educated around the actual career in construction so that they can start to think, could I do that role? Would I like to do it? Does it excite me? It's also aimed at then trying to educate not only the reader being the child, but also the parent and the teacher in the respect that these are two people that probably try to steer their child in their career options and have no understanding of what we do as an industry or no understanding of the job roles that's available to the child. And we face a massive skill shortage as an industry. So it was an attempt to try and bridge that gap between construction and primary school children because we know that we don't educate people early enough. So the quicker we try to put the fire out at that end, the quicker it'll catch up at the back end when they leave in secondary school, the more informed because they've, they've known about it from primary school age. So it was kind of like trying to be a, a catch-all for both the teacher, the parent and the child themselves to let them then have enough knowledge to give them an informed decision. So did you always think, I want to be an author? Is that something that, because I'm fascinated by people's careers, I guess it's, um, um, it's part of my, I guess, professional curiosity. Is that something you always felt like you wanted to do? Because obviously you've worked in construction for some time. At what point did you go, this needs to happen or was it just a desire to write? Not ever. I never, ever wanted to be an author, but... Um, I was a Seeker director um, for Seeker Northeast. I was on the board of directors there. And Seeker do a lot of work on the skill shortage. And I attended a lot of seminars and events where a lot of very intelligent people um, and very proactive people were around a table and discussing, you know, how do we tackle it? And for a long time, I sat there and thought, this is so hard. We've kind of got ourselves in a a little bit of a situation where we think the answer is to go into a school. And for all those people that go into schools, that's absolutely brilliant. But with the best will in the world, I kind of sat there and thought, if I go into one school every week even, and like, let's say school's open for 46 weeks of a year by the time they take all the holidays and everything, I'm only hitting 46 schools in a year. 
And if you think of the amount of schools there is in the whole of the UK, we could never, ever target every child. And who's hitting, you know, like the real outer parts of the UK, like, you know, the highlands of Scotland, who's hitting like right down south. And I sort of thought, we need some sort of product. We need a product that en masse can educate people. And it was off the back of one of those meetings that I came out and thought, you know, one resolution to this is to potentially write a book because that's the only product that I could see that would educate people. So I came away from that and ended up writing Molly in Construction and had it published. But how does that work? How did you actually do that? Do you sit down literally with a piece of paper at home? I'm fascinated by this. Yeah. And go, right. Did you do the drawings yourself? Because that's what I love about it. I've sat there, I've, done, I've read it with my seven-year-old son and it's really good pictures. And what I also loved personally was how diverse the range and the characters in the book are. They don't look all at the same, which is fantastic. Did you have to contact an illustrator? Is that something that the publisher did? So I wrote the book um, and to be truthful, people will also ask me like, how long did it take you to write it? Like half a day because Amazing. it was just so easy to write about something that I knew. And I kind of already had the story mapped out in my head. And then I sent it to a publisher. They wrote back and said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll publish the book. Um, you pay a fee for publishing it, so I paid the fee. They um, selected, sent me a number of drawings, selected a number of illustrators who sent me a number of drawings. And I looked at those drawings and decided who was the best fit for me, chose the illustrator, um, explained exactly how I wanted the drawings to look. Then they send back the drawings, you proof them, you proof, proof the book, and, and then that's it, it's published and out it goes. And what happens at that point? So you must have that absolute euphoria of this has happened. And then has it achieved what you wanted it to achieve? Um, so you do. You, you, the day that it comes out, you're yeah. so excited yeah. and you're almost bursting to tell people because you really want to get the message out of like, you know, let's, let's get it out there. Let's educate people. Let's open people's minds to our industry. So you've got all of that at the front end. And then what you quite realise is that it's still a hard thing to do. It's, it's still a really hard thing to raise awareness on. So you've then got to try and work really hard to get it into schools, to get it into the hands of a child. Um, and a lot of people in the construction industry have really, really helped me with that. And a lot of people have done some really, really proactive stuff where they've bought a number of books and donated it to um, a school um, or a number of schools. So, you know, that, that's like completely appreciated by me. But really, the only way that I'll get that out there is through the help of people in the industry to try and promote it with me and try to get it into schools and get it into the right hands. I've had some um, conversations with a lot of people within schools and we're doing some work on that in behind the scenes to try and push that a bit more. So hopefully this year it'll be quite a successful year where it starts to gain a lot of traction. I, I love it on a, a lot of different levels. I love it because you're doing something very practical to deal with a question that I get asked. For example, most days, yesterday I was asked a question from a council, how can we prove DNI across our industry? You know, and it's and it's and that could be any given day I'd ask that question. And what I love about what you've done is you've not just said had a sort of thought, you've not just said, Oh, I'm going to do it. You've actually done it. You've created something that's a vehicle to actually genuinely educate people. But at the same time, it's not just this is what a quantity surveyor does or this is what a site engineer does. It goes beyond that because when you read it, because the, the people involved, for a start, Molly herself being a woman and all the people, the diversity and range of pictures that you see, mm -hmm. it challenges perceptions as to who is welcome 
in, in the construction field. And that's what I love about it. Because like you said, you're challenging perceptions, not only of the child, but also I think of the parents who often guide the child's career choices at a really early stage. So to me, that's what I love about what you're doing because you're genuinely doing something deeply practical to help it. So interestingly that you touch on that because that was another reason why I wrote Molly in Construction. So I spent some time in the Middle East and then when I returned home, um, I found myself at the school gates with my oldest child, um, Alistair, because he was back at school there. Um, I'm never at the school gate because normally I'm on a construction site. But for the first few weeks that we were home, because I was trying to integrate him into school, I was at the school gate. And when I was there, I got talking to some mums and they would say to me, you know, Alistair has said to my child that you've just come back from the Middle East. And I'd say, oh yeah, we've just come back from the Middle East. And the first thing that they would say is, you must have been there with your husband's job, were you? And I'd say, no, no, we were there with my job. And you kind of see the face change. And then they would say, oh, right. Um, well, what did you do in the Middle East? And then I said, well, I was part of a construction team that built an oil rig. So I was there building an oil rig um, that was then going to go offshore in the North Sea. And then the face really changes. And then they start asking the question, well, what do you do for a job? Well, I'm a quantity surveyor. Well, what's a quantity surveyor? And that's always the question. What is a quantity surveyor? And that's why I always put that in, the, in I've always put that yeah. in Molly and Construction. What's a quantity surveyor? I hear you ask. What's an engineer? I hear you ask. And then I would tell them what a quantity surveyor is. And then, then this one day, this lady said to me, do you mean that my daughter could do that? And I just think that was the moment that the penny dropped and I thought, wow. So I'm now in a position where you don't even believe that that's accessible for your child. And it's a job that can take you all over the world. Um, it gives you, a, you know, gives you a, a good standard of living. It gives you experience. It gives you success. You know, you get to feel the success of a project. You get to feel successful. You get to feel part of a successful team. And you don't even know that that opportunity is there for your child, whether that be a female or a male. But at that point in time, it was a female. And I just thought, like, wow, you know, the, the, these children are so... And the parent is so uninformed, mm. so driven down a route of stereotypical roles for them, yeah. which almost determines their future without them being able to have any input into that. And I think it's a really good point around parents, the influence they have, because I think unless you've got someone in your family that understands this industry, then it's perhaps not an industry people would think about. When I've interviewed a lot of people like yourself, extremely successful, who've come into the industry, very few of them have said, I started out from the age of six and wanted to be an architect. Most have almost said I fell into it or I, but when I did fall into it, I'm so happy that I did. It's full of purpose. I build people's homes. I build their hospitals. I build the schools. I build the roads from A to B. I make sure people have clean water. So they, they see the purpose once they're in it but it's often not spoke about. Or if it is spoken about, it's spoken about in a way that maybe people would be apprehensive about, sent, about maybe their daughter or their child who might be LGBTQ plus to go into this in industry, maybe worried that they wouldn't be accepted for who they are. And every parent wants their child to feel comfortable and confident. So 
What I love about your book is I think it directly challenges that and almost informs parents that when you're making those decisions around GCSEs, A-levels and almost the path. So how did you get into quantity surveying and construction? Because you've said yourself that, did you always know you wanted to be a quantity surveyor or not? No. Right. (laughs) Good. Right. So You could have done with Monica in construction then. Yeah. yeah. Um, And why did I become a QS? So I had it. At the time when I became a QS, believe it or not, 20 years ago, there was a skill shortage. So 20 years ago, there was a skill shortage and we haven't got any better. So as an industry, I don't think we've done enough to tackle it because it's probably worse now than what it was then, but it was still a skill shortage. And at that point in time, the number of quantity surveying roles was huge. And I knew that um, I wanted a job um, that gave me a career. Um, I didn't want to be stuck in an office all day, but... I didn't probably want to be stuck out remotely on site all day either. So QS kind of bridged that gap of that and go out on site and work from the office. And then the most important thing was it gave me a degree that was paid for by the industry. And that's the thing that I try to scream out to parents. So um, I'm not from a particularly disadvantaged um, background, but I'm the first degree educated person in my family. Um, did I want the burden of um, the fees associated with getting a degree? Did I want my parents to have that burden? Um, no, not really. So I had the perfect storm in the fact that the industry was going to send me to university one day a week and pay all of my fees. So I would have zero student debt. Yet I would be at work for the other four days a week, learning, gaining experience, working my way up the ladder because you were doing that for the full five years at university. I then didn't have to be, you know, solely at university, solely being an academic. I got that joy of being an academic one day a week, which to be completely truthful, I'm not a big academic, or I wasn't then. I'm probably more inclined to do academic stuff now than what I was then, because right back then, the place that I wanted to be was on a building site, because that's where... I got that. I felt like I ticked. That's where that excitement was. That's where that buzz was. That's where the real learning was. That's where I was with real people. You know, I'd go out with the labour. I'd go out with the engineers. I'd go out with the site managers. And they totally put an arm around me and taught me. And so I got the best of everything. I got the best of both worlds. I was earning a good salary. I was getting good experience. I was getting a degree. I then came out of being degree educated and got chartered with the RICS. I then went on to get chartered with the CICES. So then I became a person that was chartered under two institutions with a degree, all fully funded by the construction industry. And then opportunity started to come. So then I got an opportunity to go to the Middle East for two years. At the time, I had a baby that was six months and quite nicely, if you would like to say that. I had someone at the other end of the phone that was saying, I don't care that you've got a baby that's six months old, just mobilise with them. And that feels um, really empowering that somebody's ready to support you like that. And I'll just never forget that day that Alistair was six months and I was stood in Newcastle Airport and I looked down at this baby and thought, wow, I've just given everything up. I've got a really good job in the UK. I had a really, really nice job. I've given that up. But when I went to give that up, my boss was really supportive in the fact that he said... um, if you don't go, then I will sack you because you should go because it's the best opportunity of your life. And I remember looking down at this baby who was six months old as I was going through security and thinking, okay, I've just given all of this up, this safety net. My husband had his own business. We've just sort of like um, wound that down a bit. Um, I've given up my job and we're going to the other side of the world. And I knew people there, 
but I don't know what it's going to be like. And it was the best two years of our life. As a family, it was just unbelievable. Um, I then fell pregnant out in the Middle East and returned home pregnant. And the day I flew, I took a phone call to say, can you come into the office on Monday? And went straight back to work on the Monday. I ended up working for a company and then... So, so what, I guess what I'm trying to say there is that opportunity still there. I was pregnant yeah. and I was working. I was pregnant and I came back here. And the day that I came back, somebody was on the phone offering me a job. Um, and then I had my second son and then got a call to go back to the Middle East. So I mobilised him as well with my oldest son and my husband. And we went back for another year to um, Abu Dhabi. And again, we just had like a fabulous year. Really interesting problem. Uh, project, sorry, full of lots and lots of problems. Um, so it really stretched me, but it was just amazing. And I think the opportunity that the industry's given me is something of a privilege. And I kind of feel like it's now my duty to send that message back to a younger generation to say, that opportunity's there for you. And you know what? It doesn't matter where you're from because there's a route for you. And it doesn't matter whether you can afford to do it or not because the funding's there from the industry to help you. You just need to know about it. And that's the biggest barrier I think we face. Yes. You, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And you, unless, like you said, if you know somebody that's in the industry, then you'll know. I love, by the way, that generosity and that playing it forward spirit that you have, that you almost, I've benefited from it, but rather than almost selfishly going, well, that, I'm okay and I've done okay with it, you're, you know, you're obviously decided to play that forward to other people and, and really you have that passion that's coming through. So going back to your own career, is there been, or if you wanted to pass on a wisdom, you said you've got two sons, you've obviously written them on in construction, so you're already passing quite a lot of wisdom on already. But is there a wisdom that you feel like, I'm so pleased I, I acted in this way, or I'm so pleased I have this mindset? Is there a particular mindset you'd have or a hack that you do? I mean, are you, are you meditating at 5am drinking green tea? Are you offer an ultra marathon before breakfast? Is there something you think's made you successful? Um, so there's a few things. I do, I do think it's your mindset. And um, I think is you, the more experience that you get and the more so you travel. So when I travelled with my job, that opens your mind and it gives you a totally different mindset. But one thing I think is to surround yourself with as many people as you can and draw from those people. So I've always drew from everybody on a construction site. You know, the labour will teach me. The project manager will teach me. I then get involved with groups like Seeker and the RICS and the CIC. Yes, that's a different view again, and they teach me. So I've always relied upon that, and I've always been very, very fortunate to be very well supported and very well supported by um, not only probably a younger generation that's opened my mind a bit, but an older generation who've passed their wisdom to me. Um, but another thing that I probably think a few years ago, I started off um, doing some personal training with a trainer. Right, yeah. So I train five times a week, every week. If I don't train five times a week, I actually think it's got a negative effect on how I perform at work. Yes. I definitely think it's linked. Mm -hmm. But when I trained with this trainer, it wasn't just about training me from a physical perspective. He actually trained me from a mental perspective. And at that point in time, it was almost like something flicks in your brain when... He taught me to think beyond. So he was like, right, so it's going to be hard. 
but you've got to train your brain to get past that hardness. So your brain's telling you that it's hard, but you've got to tell yourself that you can do it. You've got to, you've got to get over that. You've got to convince yourself that it's doable because you can do it because your body's stronger than your brain at that point in time, but your brain's fighting against your body to try and convince you that you can't do it. And I just found that, that when I learned that and the feeling of that and being able to achieve, and you take that out of the gym and put that into your personal life and your career, the benefit I got from that of linking those two together, as well as linking all these life experiences and being surrounded by different people from all different walks of life, I definitely think is there's something in that. No. And, and I totally agree because often we are self-limiting, aren't we? We actually talk ourselves out of things because of imposter syndrome, because we're worried about failing. But once you have that moment when you actually accept, you don't mind if you fail because actually at least you've tried. And I think often we are worried about that. But it's I do think in people's careers because that's that's the job that I do every day. And it's I'm so lucky that I talk to people about their careers, both on camera and off camera all the time. And, it, and it's often people can get stuck. They desperately want to do a change, but they're so worried and they're so apprehensive about it. But as you said, it's almost acknowledging you have more skills than you think you have. You know more people than you think you know. The grass can be greener sometimes on the other side, not necessarily, you don't want to be reckless, but it can be. And sometimes it's just about pausing, drawing yourself into yourself, but then making the leap. Not recklessly, not without calculation, but sometimes it's just about doing it. And that's what I spot in people's careers. And I do spot this with successful people, that they have that ability to almost manage themselves, I think. Yeah, and, 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 and I think in construction, you're in an environment where things go wrong, always. So you're never gonna build something and it's gonna be as straightforward as what it looks like on the piece of paper. And when you surround yourself with experienced people, what you start to learn and develop is, right, okay, today we've got a problem. Forget about the negative side of the problem. Forget about, oh, this is the end of the world. You know, this is horrendous. Somebody's given me an awful sight. There's not enough money. How are we going to achieve it? Forget about that. It's a problem. And now we've got to look for the resolution. So how are we going to achieve it? Let's break the problem down and let's work out how we're going to achieve the resolution all together. And I think once you start to learn and manage things like that, instead of just getting so bogged down in the problem, and I think the construction industry's taught me that to, bro to like broaden my mindset. Mm -hmm. and, then, and that's helped me in a personal level as well, twinned with everything else, like as I've said, with the training and stuff like that, and you put it all together, it's a really beneficial mindset and place to be I think and it's, it's it's got a real holisticness to it. I love it and I think people listening to this actually will be really motivated by it because I think what you've done is you've really given some practical examples of what you can do rather than we all want to feel more confident we all want to take more risks but obviously often there's a lot of fear that lives underneath that that stops and people and holds them back so I think you actually talking about how you manage that in yourself and almost talking yourself through yes I am feeling the fear but I'm still going to do it because I am stronger than I think I am I think that's so powerful for people of any gender to listen to that and go actually I can be an author even though actually by by qualification I'm a QS and, and actually I can be successful in this and I think that I can see that problem solving. You said that's something that your job that you've brought into your personal life. What I can see in, in you is you've got a real work-life fit. 
I think often people talk about balance. I think fits better because to me, you're describing a holistic view of you have your personal, you know, your, whether you're training and your family and all that. And that has informed your career, but your career has also informed those as well. And the two have beautifully, you seem so in tune and balanced, as you said, really holistic the way it is. Often if we try and separate them too much and, and almost have the balance, but almost it, often it's actually quite hard to then bring it all together and really achieve something that feels harmonious. Yours feels very harmonious, I would say. Yeah, and I think I do have that at home. Um, my children are very um, knowledgeable about what I do. You know, they understand it. They understand the reasons why. They understand where I am every day. Nine times out of ten, they've been to a construction site. So when I was in the Middle East, if there was a big lift on, I'd phone them up and they'd come and look at it from my office window. So they're very much part of it. And I think it's... And, and they have to be. We all, we all have to understand that as a family, that dynamic is we all want to achieve. We all want to do what we all want to do. And in order to do that, we all have to work together. So, yeah, you want to go to football and we've got to get you there. And I want to go out to work on a construction site every day. And I've got to be there. And sometimes I'll be with you and sometimes I won't. But you've just got to understand the reasons why I'm not there because there might be a problem that needs fixing. And they've always been bought into that, that, that I'm out there doing a job and there's a reason why I do that so that they fully understand the need for me to do it as well. Yes, absolutely. So it's been wonderful to speak to you today. I think for me, what I've really heard today is you're not just someone that thinks about things or even sort of asks your friends. You're somebody who actions what you believe in, which is so, I should imagine, a, a circle of complete empowerment that keeps empowering you the more that you do this. And I hope that people can take confidence in what you've been talking about. Because to me, you are somebody who understands about the DEI dynamic within the built environment, but has come up with a practical solution on how to do it. But you've done that in managing yourself well and bringing your lives together. So thank you so much for coming and talk to us today, Lisa. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute privilege to be asked to come and do things like this always. So thank you so much. And where can people buy your book? So they can buy it um, direct from the publisher of it, Pegasus, um, but they can also, it's available on Amazon, it's available on Waterstones Online, a number of boot, other book um, retailers are online, have it stocked, but yeah, available on Amazon and Waterstones is your first, or the, or the publisher itself is your first port of call. Perfect. And thank you to you for listening in today. You can get other episodes of Building Futures Career Conversations on the Hayes YouTube channel, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you normally get your podcasts.